houses and moms and dads, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts, or excuse me, turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. If you have your iPad and your iPhone, and that's where your uh, that's where your Bible is, then that's okay. Let's turn to that, Luke chapter 15, because today we begin seven weeks of radical transformation. Radical transformation. And everyone, every single one of us, preacher included, need to be part of this study. Our theme comes from Romans chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and Ephesians 4. Let me read these to you. First of all, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, I'm going to read it in a translation, the, the New Living Translation. I love the way it phrases it here. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Get that. By changing the way, you see, everything up here, everything starts up here. The ancestor of every action is a thought. You do not rob a bank without thinking about it first. No one just is in line to cash a check and says, I think I'll rob a bank. They thought about it before, and they went in, and they made some kind of plans, maybe stupid plans, but they, they, did, they thought. Every, the ancestor of every action is a thought. So God says, I, I want to change you from the inside out by changing the very way that you think. You will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You want to know God's will? You say, preacher, I don't understand. How do you know God's will? I read the Bible, but it doesn't really, the words don't jump off the page to me. How do I know what God's will is for me? By not copying the pattern, the behavior of this world, letting God transform you into a brand new creation, a brand new person by changing the very way that you even think, and then you'll know God's will. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17. I'll read it for you. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. When you receive Christ, if you indeed were born again, all of a sudden the old things changed and the new things began to, began to happen. That doesn't mean you look different necessarily. It doesn't mean you speak a different language. It doesn't mean you're, you're, you still have the same body, but, uh, but it means that you're a brand new person with brand new direction. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, 18, and 19, it says, With the Lord's authority I say this. Paul said, Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Well, that sounds like today, United States of America, hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives them because they have closed their minds. There's your mind again. Closed their minds and hardened their hearts against them. They have no sense of shame. Anything goes, everything goes. It's all public stuff that used to be done behind closed doors and not talked about now are the subject of, uh, of comic uh, artists and on TV and theater and so on. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. And you, as a child of God, you, as a child of God, are not to live for lustful pleasure, are not to eagerly practice every kind of impurity. You are, you are to have a sense of shame. You are to open your mind to the truths of God and open your heart to the things of God. See, what God really wants us to be are nonconformists. Nonconformists to the present world system. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about uh, the cosmos, the present world system that is in opposition to all that is good and godly. 
God doesn't want us to conform to that to that system. And in this series over the next this week and next six weeks beyond that, we're going to talk about today spiritually being healthy and closer to God. We're going to talk about mentally, physically, emotionally, relationally, financially, and vocationally. And I don't have time to go over each one of those. I will in the coming weeks. So here's what I want to encourage you to do along with the study that we're taking on, that we're embarking on today. I want you to join a Bible study. So, Patty asked me today, when do the Bible studies meet? 8.45 right over here, Sunday morning. Uh, Wednesday night right here, uh, uh, Thursday night um, at the Alquist's home, uh, Friday morning, ladies right back here. Um, get in a small group. Get in a Bible study. Uh, keep a notebook. Keep a diary. Write, journal things down. Discuss the message. Read the Word of God. Get into the Bible. If you're not in the Bible every day, get into the Word of God. Attend Sunday services. Be faithful every week over the next six weeks, including today, seven weeks. Memorize Bible verses. Set personal goals in the key areas we're going to talk about. And transformation will take place because we're not the same when the Word of God becomes part of us. Now, let me ask you a question. If you, how many of you uh, have been around um, animals very much? Uh, farm animals? Okay. Uh, okay. How many are familiar with, with sows? Pigs? Okay. <clears throat> suppose you take a sow, about a 300-pounder, and suppose you take some soap and a brush, and you, you clean her all up, and you do her nails, well, hooves. You, do, you, you file them all down. You get them all nice. You put some polish on them. Uh, you put a little rouge on the, the hog's uh, jowls, and uh, you, you, put a, you tie a, a bow or a ribbon in his hair and splash on. What's a good perfume today? I don't know. I don't even know. Some Channel 5? Is that still? Uh, <laughs> whatever. Probably now it's Channel 25. I don't know. But anyhow, you splash some perfume on that, on that sow, and you let the sow go. Is the sow going to all of a sudden be transformed into a clean, wonderful, polite farm animal? No. The hog is going to go to the swill. It's going to go to the pigsty, and it's going to roll around to try to get the Channel 5 off of it. And the bow will come out, and it will be nasty and dirty because that is the nature, and you cannot change a sow from the outside in. But let me tell you something, neither can you change a person from the outside in. That's why reformation doesn't work. Just reforming your ways doesn't work. Turning over a new leaf doesn't work. 2 Peter 2.22, and, and I apologize if this is uh, offensive to some. It's in the Word of God. It happened to them according to the true proverb, the dog is returned to its own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. The Word of God. There are seven key areas in this series, and this one is on spiritual health. And the further you get from God, let me tell you, the further you get from God, the more messed up and confused your life becomes. In Luke 15, beginning in verse 11, it says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus was preaching, or teaching, and to illustrate the point further, in other words, he'd already given them two different stories. He talked about having 100 sheep, and one of them was safe, and 99 were safe, and one of them was lost. He said, you put the 99 sheep in the fold, and you go look for the one that's lost. That's how important it is. One out of 100 is important. And the next story he told him was about a lady having 10 coins and a dowry, 
and how that one of them was lost, so the nine were safe, and she swept, and she turned everything upside down, the house, until she found the tenth coin, because that's how important it was, and she had a party. Uh, so Jesus then told them the story to illustrate the, point, illustrate the point further. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I, I, I don't know how many times I've preached on this. I don't know how many times I've heard this preached on. I don't know how many times I've, I've read this over the last uh, 50 years of my life. I have no idea, but it's a bunch because it's a very famous portion of Scripture, something I learned this morning that I had never seen before for some reason is that the father divided his estate between them both. Not just the young son. He didn't. I always thought well, he gave the young son his part, you know, so he'll give the older son. No, it says he. And I checked about five or six different translations. They all have the plural form. He divided his state among his sons. That's important. Remember that. In just a few minutes. A few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings, moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. You can you can figure it out. We live in a culture that's. That seems just crazy about partying and, and living the, the wild life scene. And, and that's what, exactly what he did. And about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him to his fields to feed, to feed the pigs. And here's a young Jewish boy, young man, feeding pigs. Do you realize how offensive that is to his culture, to his teaching, to the Mosaic Law? The young man became so hungry that even the pods, and there were several, one translation said corn cobs, another one said uh, some kind of a carob or something, but some kind of feed that wasn't necessarily good for humans, that they would feed the pigs. He got so hungry, he, was, he thought about eating them. Even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. And by the way, the devil will take and take and take and take and take, and the only thing he'll give you is a fit. The only thing he'll give you is a rough time. And I love the next verse, in verse 17, when he finally came to his senses. He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, I love this too, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. There's a great, uh, there's a great gospel song, I can't remember the name of it, by Phillips, Craig, and Dean. Uh, he ran to him. I mean, it, it, it'll break your heart to listen to it, the compassion that his father had. You know what this tells me? His dad was looking for him to come home. His dad was looking, at, and every day maybe he would get up and maybe have his devotions and pray and, and, and look down the road and say, God, please send my son home. Please help him come back. Help him do what's right. And he had compassion. He ran to him. He embraced him. He hugged him. He kissed him. And the son said to the father, he he started his speech. He had it rehearsed. He knew what he wanted to say. He wanted to get it done. Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father stopped him and said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe, the long flowing formal wear for the guest of honor. Bring the long flowing robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring, which completes this ornate 
or ornate dressing attire and may have signified sonship with a seal in the ring, which they often would do, showing also wealth. Get a ring for his finger and sandals. He came probably barefooted and dirty, and now he has, he has sandals, new shoes for his feet, and kill the calf that we have been fattening. Why have they been fattening a calf? For some religious or ceremonial reason, perhaps. Maybe it speaks of the sacrifice of Christ. I don't know. They rarely ate meat like that. It was reserved for special occasions. But here we're going to kill the fatted calf. Maybe, maybe dad said, when my son comes home, I'm going to offer a sacrifice to my God for answering my prayer. And I'm going to fatten that calf just for that occasion. And the dad said, we must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now is he found, and literally the word for found meant resurrected. Now is he resurrected, so the party began. That's the, that's the meat of the, of the message right there. But let me just give you a couple of points, and we'll be done. First of all, he was fed up with his life. He got fed up with his life. When he finally came to his senses, and folks, if we sow to the flesh, we reap of the flesh corruption. If we sow to the Spirit, we reap the blessings of a spiritual life. God is not deceived. He is not mocked. For whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. He that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And the wisest man who ever lived said, Good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful or the transgressor is hard. Consider for a minute the alcoholic. I mean hardcore alcoholic. Consider the drug addict. Consider those who live in moral lifestyles, the prostitute, the ones who engage the prostitutes, the immoral people. Consider those who are materialistic and greedy and always need just a little bit more. How much to satisfy? Just a little bit more. Consider people who, whose lives are consumed with whatever is important to them, but not with God. And, and his life, this young man's life, was one of sinfulness and selfishness and foolishness and evil. And, and he wound up in want. He wound up not even having the necessities of life. And I believe that can happen to a child of God. I believe that the unhappiest person in the world, this is just my idea. I don't have a scripture verse for this. The unhappiest person in the world is not a lost person away from God. The unhappiest person in the world is a child of God who knows better, who's away from God and living with the guilt and shame and remorse of a lifestyle away from God. And if you're not careful... Can a child come to the point, a child of God come to the point of no longer wanting to live because they're overwhelmed, the consequences of their life's choices? I believe so. I love life. I want to live long and well. I I say oftentimes I'm not afraid of dying. It's just the getting there part that kind of bothers me sometime, how it's going to happen, (laughs) you know. but I want to live. I want to live for God. I want to live closer to God. I want to be closer to God this year than I was last year. So what do you do if you're fed up with life that you're living? What do you do if the direction you're going 
is not closer to God but away from God. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 29, 13, you'll find me when you get serious about finding me and you'll want it more than anything else. You know, the Bible says God is a jealous God and we usually think of jealousy as a bad thing, don't we? God is a jealous God. He doesn't want you worshiping anything or anyone else other than him. And when something or someone else becomes more important to you than he is important to you, he's not pleased. He's not happy with that. So he says, draw near unto God, and he will draw near to us. He came to the end of himself. Secondly, he owned up to his sin. He was fed up, and he owned up. I'll go home to my father. And I'll say, I've sinned against heaven and you. I am not worthy anymore to be your son. I want to be a, an employee. I want to be a hired servant. I want to be your slave. Would you please just feed me, take care of my necessities? I'll work for you, not as your son, but as a servant. Isaiah said, it's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. So it was important that he come to the point, this young son, of saying, you know what? I've sinned against heaven. And I've sinned against you, and I'm sincerely sorry for that. By the way, if we feel far away from God, if we are further away from God today than we ever have been before, guess who moved? It wasn't him. We are as close to God right now as we want to be. Well, Pastor, you don't understand. You know what? We're as close to God as we want to be. The psalmist said, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. This is David. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. I wanted to wear this shirt, and my wife said, I got some bad news for you. It's got a stain in the back. I said, what? It's got a stain. And you know what she did? She worked on it. She got the stain out. You know what? We're stained. By sin, there's not a sin we commit, but what it doesn't stain us. It leaves its marks on us. I don't care if you're a child of God or not. If you sin, you are stained by that sin. So David said, blot out the stain. Wash it clean. Get it clean. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me. That's even going deeper. It's not just taking away the stain, but it's making me pure. It's washing me from my guilt, purifying me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. I recognize it. I admit it. I confess it to you. I am a rebel. I am away from you. I have gone my own way, and it haunts me day and night. It haunts him. Against you and you alone have I sinned, and I've done this terrible evil in your sight. So he owned up to his sin, and we need to own up to our condition. God says it this way, come now, let's reason together. Let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. So it's time to have a personal Spiritual checkup. Periodically, I get this thing from Kaiser. It says, you know what? It's time for this checkup or that checkup. It's fine, time for a flu shot. It's time for, we need to check your blood pressure. We need to check your, your, your heart. We need to check uh, your, your body mass index. Forget that. We need to check, uh, you know, we, we need, you need a checkup. You need to come. Your lung capacity, we need to figure that out. I got plenty of hot air. I got it. I got that. 
but we, we got to figure it all out, so come for a physical checkup. Well, every time we have the Lord's Supper, communion, guess what? That's a time, that's a special time set aside for a spiritual checkup. Where am I wanting? Where am I falling short? Where am I lacking? Where have I wavered? Where, what, where, where have I gotten off the right path? What rabbit am I chasing? What trail am I on that's going to lead to a destination I don't want to wind up in? 2 Corinthians 13, Paul said, verse 5, test yourselves to make sure you're solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourselves regular checkups. You need firsthand evidence, not mere hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. Test it out. If you fail the test, do something about it. If you fail the test, do something about it. Preacher, your blood pressure's up. You need to do something about it. You need to exercise. You need to uh, watch out. Don't decrease the salt intake. You need, and, and all those routine things that they tell you, you, do something about it. Don't just go blindly on your way. And for us to come to the point where we're fed up and we do this checkup and we own up to something, it, it takes humility and honesty. It takes admitting, yeah, I have failed miserably. Humility and honesty. The third thing is, he offered up himself. He was fed up, he owned up, and now he offers up. Notice the change in attitude from give me to make me. In Luke 15, 12 in the King James, it says, Father, give me the portion that belongs to me. Give me. And then a few verses later in in verse 19, he said, make me as one of the hired hands. From give me what is mine to make me as a hired hand, please. This is a heart transformation. It is inward and it's profound. the The young man that came home was not the same young man that went away a few months or years earlier. He's a different person. He went from self-centered to God-centered. It wasn't instant. It wasn't overnight. And it is ongoing. 2 Corinthians 3.18, all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, listen to this, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. He makes us more and more. It's an ongoing, present tense action, more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. And that's why he says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. And in those verses I read earlier in in Romans chapter 12, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, guess what? The Greek word there, we get our English word metamorphosis from. And metamorphosis is what takes place when I creepy little caterpillar climbs up somewhere and makes a a cocoon and crawls inside and goes from that caterpillar to the pupa stage to the butterfly stage and after a certain amount of time comes out of that cocoon and flies away, sometimes very beautiful butterflies, but a butterfly nonetheless. Transformation is a process. And here's the starting point we got to volunteer. Lord, please change me. I can't change myself. I can't. I, I'm sorry about the references to weight, but I, it's like, it's like I, try to, I want to lose weight. 
Guess what? Saying it, if saying it did it, I'd be 100 pounds right now. It takes more than just, I can't do it. I can't do the transformation. God has to change me from the inside out. And we've got to volunteer. And then his father said, bring him, give him the robe, give him the ring, give him the sandals. Let's kill the fatted calf. God has a better plan for your life than you do. It's like our lives away from God are like eating I don't, if I can keep it in this kind of realm, hot dogs and beans all the time. And God says, no, I want you to have T-bone steaks and grilled salmon and lobster and, I mean, all, probably not shellfish, sorry about that. But what, I, 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 want you to have, I want you to have more than, I want you to have a banquet when you sit down. He doesn't want us feeding on pig food. My grandparents on my dad's side, Lived on a farm. I used to love to go there every year. Loved to look forward to it. And my grandmother had a. She cooked with a with a, a wood burning stove, no electricity, no running water, no indoor plumbing. You figure it out. And they had a bucket underneath where they would prepare the food, and everything that the people didn't eat went into the bucket, including the shells of the eggs including leftovers, including whatever. And my granddad would take that bucket outside, and I followed him one day, see what he's going to do with that bucket. I figured, you know, toss it somewhere. He walked over, opened up the gate, went inside where the pigs were, and poured it in the pig trough. And those pigs about knocked us over trying to get to that. And that's why they call it slop, I think, pig slop. God doesn't want you feeding the pig slop. God has so much better for us. This young man was fed up. He owned up. He offered up. Last of all, he lifted up his praise. He lifted up his praise. Verses 23 and 24. Psalm 68 says this. Sing praises to God and to his name. Sing loud praises to him who rides the clouds. His name is the Lord. Rejoice in his presence. Singing to the Lord can lift fallen spirits, pulls us out of depression. Music is powerful. Good music is powerfully good. I have this affliction. I don't remember words to a lot of songs, and I don't even know the words to a lot of songs that I grew up with. My wife knows the words to all the songs. She, can, she knows them all. And she will often get a song in her head, and she will sing it over and over, and, and it has a profound effect a lot of times in situations where she happens to be. Singing is powerful. There are studies that show that singing and giving praises to God is good for our health. It actually lowers blood pressure, releases endorphins, improves the mood, builds confidence, relieves loneliness, replaces negative emotions and stress, and creates positive emotions. And by the way, prayer does the same types of things. I, was, I just posted in Facebook Last week, uh, a paper, she found an article talking about the benefits of prayer from not a Christian perspective, from a scientific perspective about how it made a difference in people's lives when they prayed, a positive difference. Psalmist said, I will sing the Lord because he's good to me. There's something about just giving praise to God. Thank you, Danny, for leading us today. And for all of the praise team, 
And, and I thank Micah all the time for leading us in good godly worship and telling the Lord how much we love him and giving thanks to him. So I want to conclude with this. Are you a prodigal? Spending money, resources, time, energy, freely, recklessly, wastefully? Are you? We may not know that. If, if I were doing that, you wouldn't know it necessarily unless you saw me. You wouldn't necessarily know it. But God knows everything about us. Are you away from God doing your own thing right now? And it might even be a good thing, but it's not the best thing. It's not what God has for you. Are you ready to come to Him? Are you fed up with mediocrity? Are you fed up with doing your own thing? Will you offer up yourself to God? If you do, He will forgive and restore because that is what God does. And transformation, real, honest to goodness, tangible change can occur for every single one of us. And it starts right here, I think, spiritually. The other things will come as a result. But first, we've got to get this right. Because if we're right in other areas, physically, financially, whatever, if we're right in those areas, if we are, but not right with God spiritually, then we're not right. So would you do me a favor? Would you bow your head? We've come to this part of the service where we bow our heads and we ask you some questions, maybe provocative to some. If you're a visitor, don't. I'm not going to embarrass you. I promise I won't do that. Let me ask you something. Don't raise your hand on this one at all. Don't. But I ask you again, are you a prodigal son or daughter? Are you out of God's perfect will for your life right now? Are you living beneath what he has for you right now? Are you tired of it? Because you will get tired of it. You will get fed up with it. The circumstances of life will be overwhelming to you at some point if your life is not yoked to that of Jesus Christ. Are you ready to come back to him on his terms? What would you do in order to do that? Would you do like this young man did? I, I'm I'm going to go. I'm going to confess to him. I've sinned against heaven and, and him. I'm going to my father, I'm going to ask him to let me be a servant. I won't claim my sonship, but just let me be a servant. Will you offer yourself up to God? That's what the invitation is about. And, and just a moment more before we sing, let me ask you this. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're not sure that you are saved, you're not sure that you're God's child, you're not even sure that you've been born again, you're not sure if you died, you'd go to heaven but you're concerned about it, then I want you right where you are to pray to the Lord and ask him to save you and to be your savior if that's your heart's desire. You say, preacher, how do I do that? I don't know how to pray. Well, it's not a formula. It's not saying certain words like abracadabra or whatever. It's, it's the heart's attitude and the mind's attitude where I am tired of my sin. I want Christ to be my savior. And, and if you would like, I'll lead you in a, in a prayer and you can pray something like this, but you need to mean it. Because my saying it, and even you saying it won't do anything unless you mean it. But you could pray something like this. Dear God, just like this young man, I realize I'm a sinner. I realize I've come so short of what you want me to be. I've fallen short. I'm shamed. I'm guilty. I've sinned against you. 
And Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sins today. I do believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I believe he was born of a virgin, that he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe I need my, the stains of my sins removed from me. And I need to be washed from that unclean, uncleanness. And I need to be purified from that sin. So Lord, as best I know how, I put my faith in Jesus Christ, your son, as my savior right now. Please be my God, be my savior. In Jesus' name, every head still bowed. If you just prayed that prayer right now, you're sincere. Would you raise your hand up real high? I won't embarrass you. Just raise it up real high. God bless you. Are there others? Anyone else? I'm going to ask you, if you prayed that prayer, to take that connection card in front of you and to check that first box on the side that asks what, you, what your next step is. I want you to check that first box and fill out your name and turn it in. Because Christ, who died for you publicly on the cross, wants you to take a stand for him. So be, don't be ashamed of him. If you prayed that and meant it with all your heart, then he's become your savior and your God. Now, Christian, what about you? What about you? Are you walking with him or are you walking away from him? There's only two possibilities. You're either walking with him or you're walking away from him. In just a moment, I'm going to have you stand. In just a moment, we're going to sing. In just a moment, if you want to make a, a commitment to the Lord, you want to come back and get on the right path, then I'm going to ask you to leave your seat, to come down to the front. If you need someone to pray with you, there'll be ladies up here to pray with the ladies. There'll be guys up here to pray with the guys. If you just want to come and pray, put it all on the altar and say, here I am, Lord. Restore me, bring me back, then you can do that. Father, your will be done in this invitation. We pray in Jesus' name.